You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Thursday morning and welcome into the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. I am your host, Ryan Hickey. Thank you so much for tuning in uh, on this gorgeous, gorgeous Thursday morning, which is a little bit bittersweet, uh, which I will explain in just a little bit. But first and foremost, obviously, we hope everyone is safe, practicing social distancing, washing their hands, and at least not going stir crazy or really starting to get riled up as a... People work from home now for really the second full week that uh, all of America or most of America, I should say, uh, is working from home. So we hope that at least you're keeping entertained. You're not losing your sanity just yet. And uh, hopefully at least everything from home is going smooth. Everyone, again, is staying safe and healthy. And uh, as I'm sure as you heard, we can all work our way to hopefully flattening this curve sooner rather than later and getting back to our way of living that we're used to being. So we do welcome in. On this Thursday morning uh, to the Morning Boys with myself, Ryan Hickey, like I said, it is a bittersweet Thursday um, because if you are a big sports fan, well, one, you wouldn't be listening, so I'm sure you know what the date is. But two, if you're a big baseball fan, today, March 26th, should be opening day. Um, Being a Mets fan myself, Nationals at Mets was going to be an exciting game to go to. You had Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom um, on the hill. Supposed to go to that game, nice little Christmas present. Um, Unfortunately, obviously, that will have to wait at least – at least a month, um, middle of May, I mean, is at least some projections of what MLB is saying. We'll see. That's even a little bit, um, maybe a little bit too ambitious. We'll, we'll kind of get to that. And we'll kind of start with that um, because both leagues, both the MLB and NBA kind of differently had some, had some interesting messages out there in terms of scheduling. Um, in terms of how they're approaching scheduling. So I, I kind of want to dive into that. Um, but we have a fun and exciting show, again, not just some sports as well, but I have an interesting topic I just want to kind of get your thoughts on. And really, I obviously love any kind of feedback that you have, either commenting on Facebook or on Twitter or even shooting just me a, a personal message itself. But hopefully at least this question I want to throw out there can get a lot of different answers, a lot of different responses. So I'm curious because obviously with no sports, you kind of have to think outside the box and at least kind of um, reflect more than just obviously react to what, what games are going on. So at least with that said, I was hoping to at least get a reactionary comment and, and kind of a uh, question that we can kind of go back and forth on throughout the show is if you could change the outcome of one sporting event, what would it be? And not just, you know, oh, I wish my team won the World Series last year. Or I wish, you know, if you're a Giants fan, they won the Super Bowl last year. I would change, you know, that outcome. But just like a game, a pitch, an inning, a play, a shot, just one small Again, outcome or even the you know, the difference of a game that could lead to possibly different fortunes for your team. I have mine. Unfortunately, it's a painful one. I revisited last night as I was thinking about this question just to kind of remember what it felt like. And I thought, despite it happening, you know, just about 15 years ago, I thought, you know, I can handle it. I'll take a look, and I'll be honest. Watching it over again really brought back a lot of the feels, a lot of the pain. And again, 15 years later, I'm stunned over it. So I'll give you my thoughts, um, or at least the one outcome I would change in my life personally. But again, I'd love to get yours. Either comment if you're watching on Facebook uh, below the show or below the live video, just what sporting event outcome you would want to change. Um, if you're on Twitter, say that you can uh, tweet below the show if you're on Periscope as well, um, or write in, you know, again, either via text or or, um, again, through those, uh, through those social media channels, wherever you're watching. So, like I said, a, a busy show. I want to kind of get to both scheduling for the MLB and NBA. 
Uh, Dak Prescott and the Cowboys have re- gone back to the negotiating table. Kind of want to give you why the Cowboys should respect and honor what Dak Prescott and what his demands are. I'll kind of get into that and how the Cowboys should go about trying to sign and at least go about keeping their, their franchise quarterback in Dallas. Um, Cam Newton. Released by the Panthers, where one team, um, or really the, the best fit for him, I think it makes a lot of sense, both the team and the player, but there's one exception. There absolutely is one exception that should go on. I'll, I'll kind of give you that. Obviously, we have another edition of the Quarantine Chronicles. I read some crazy, crazy story that came out of Pittsburgh, so we'll give you that in a little bit. And my cousin Sarah coming back with some more content last week. She shared about how her boss and her boss's fiance may not make it out alive, and that was just a few days of social uh, social distancing and working from home. I hope they're still together and they're both alive a week later. Um, but she has a different story as well, so kind of give you that. Um, and the office had some interesting, interesting um, developments, I should say, about Steve Carell and his future on the show. Obviously, if you're a big Office fan, um, he left after season seven, but. There's some details that come out um, that may suggest otherwise or that he was maybe not willing to leave. So we'll kind of get into that a little bit as well. And obviously, again, anything you want to talk about, comment on Facebook, comment on Twitter, and we will obviously read those on the air as we go until 11 a.m. on the East Coast. So like I said, with opening day supposed to be today for baseball, I kind of wanted to get into what MLB should go and how they should go about their schedule. Because there's been a few rumblings, a few different ideas tossed around. You had Rob Manfred going on ESPN with, with Scott Van Pelt last night, kind of talking about his, his thoughts up to this point of how he wants to attack the season. So I have my ideas. Um, I have my ideas about how MLB should go um, about this season and why hopefully at least they don't go uh, or put measures in that are too drastic. They'll really change the outcome of the game. And I'll give you at least some, some thoughts, at least right now, and some other people's thoughts around the game that they have. So like I said, with Open Day being today, it's not going to happen. And really, if we're talking about realistic timelines, the commissioner still said he hopes mid-May is a kind of time where we can kick off opening day. I think it's still a little ambitious, still a little tough. Um, and the, part of the reason for that is because you have people in the game saying they're going to need another spring training. You had the president of the Blue Jays come out uh, earlier this week and basically say they're going to need another month of the spring training. So if you kind of do the timeline for that, they need a month of spring training. If Rob Manfred and MLB want to restart this thing, let's say May 15th. They say middle of May, let's just give an arbitrary date, May 15th. Well, that means they're going to have to have basically opening up spring training, have players go back to their respective camps in Florida and Arizona, and get going in about two weeks. It's March 26th, middle of April. Again, it's just about two weeks, two and a half weeks away. I Do you see a situation where all of a sudden in two, two and a half weeks, we're going to get back to sports not resuming, but at least kind of ramping back up and gearing back up. I don't think so. I mean, I think that's, you know, if you want to be, again, overly optimistic, really hope that maybe the social distance in the next few weekends um, can really, again, slow the rate of, sp- of spreading and really at least bring the hospitals kind of release some stress over them and really, again, hopefully flatten the curve that we all keep talking about and keep hoping for. So you're going to need all of that happen in just a few weeks in order to start the season around mid-May. I, I think to me at least June 1st is going to be around the time um, that the season will restart. And you had even people, despite the season starting on June 1st, almost two months um, later than normal, you have people still hoping for a full 162. Scott Boris, notorious, notorious player agent in baseball, has a plan. He put out a plan the other day talking with the L.A. Times saying that he would start the season on June 1st, and he would basically play the schedule, all 162, normally. Play it out, which would mean the World Series would be right around Christmas time. 
Think about that. He would play the season, I believe, through November at these, at these teams' home ballparks for the most part, and then have all the playoffs and basically neutral sites um, where stadiums or teams have domes or um, nice weather like in California where you can play both in Dodgers Angel Stadium and the Padres Stadium. So he wants full 162 starting June 1st and have the World Series go through Christmas time. You have another interesting idea with at least Blue Jays uh, general manager, and this idea was backed up by Rockies manager Bud Black, was that they also want to play the full 162, but in doing so, they would kind of try to condense the season to go through just uh, October, and by doing that, they would play doubleheaders uh, once, maybe even twice a week, and those doubleheaders would be seven-inning games. Minor leagues, um, colleges, and, and in, uh, independent uh, leagues have this rule, where if you're going to do a doubleheader, it's seven innings. So... In this, in this idea, at least, the teams could play the full schedule um, and go through October, and it would be basically nine games a week, let's just say. But at least my idea, I think, because the, the only thing I don't like about the doubleheader is that, one, you're shortening the game. I understand it, it's, it's unprecedented circumstances, so you kind of have to take some unprecedented actions, per se. But at least with seven-inning doubleheaders and trying to really basically have a game that is a marathon, right? Baseball is a marathon, 162 over... I think it's 182 days, if I'm not mistaken. So it's a lot of games with not a lot of off time. Every single day you have to play. I think trying to accelerate that even more and basically make the marathon a sprint where let's say, you know, a marathon is 26 miles. Well, let's say you make the marathon 20 miles and then it's basically a sprint. It could be, you know, more taxing, more exhausting, and could lead to more injuries. So my thought at least is, and this is assuming the season starts right on June 1st. Here's what I would do. I would pick up, first of all, pick up the schedule as is. So June 1st, if the Mets are playing the Marlins, if the Yankees are playing the Orioles, if the Red Sox are playing the Rays, whatever your team is, on June 1st, whatever their schedule, you start the season right there on June 1st. And the reason why I do that is because you have some great matchups early on, or should I say later on in the year, that you still can keep by starting on June 1st and not rescheduling um, games that you miss in March, April, and May. So you still have the Red Sox visiting the Cubs, which is just obviously two national fan bases and teams that really play each other. It'd be cool for history and cool to see um, two historical franchises go against up each other, which that's after June 1st. You keep that. Dodgers and Angels is a great L.A. rivalry, especially now with the Angels starting to load up on talent. The Angels at the Phillies. You have Mike Trout versus Bryce Harper. You have the Astros and Nationals, World Series um, rematch. Yankees at White Sox, and they're supposed to play the Field of Dreams in Iowa in August, which is cool. And then you have the Red Sox and Orioles playing in Williamsport in August as well. So by starting on June 1st and keeping the, or starting the schedule as is on June 1st, you keep a lot of these really cool matchups that are scheduled to happen this year. Keep those on the schedule as is. And I like the doubleheader idea. What I would do, though, is I would do it every other Sunday. So that way teams aren't gassed and you're not really – um, you're not pushing the full metal and, and pushing the pedal down all the way for these teams. So where you're still getting a, a significant amount of games in and you're still having a doubleheader, but just every other Sunday at least provides some relief and provides some, uh, some uh, break, especially for the pitchers. And if you're going to start on June 1st, still keep the All-Star game. It's going to be in L.A. this year at Dodger Stadium. I think it's cool. Just move back a month. Instead of, uh, instead of July, which it always is, move back to August. That way you still have two full months for these players to, uh, to make their all-star bid. A little less time than normal. I mean, think about it. If it's in July, if you start in late March, early April, you have basically three months um, to make your all-star bid. Here you get two, but it's still better than nothing. So I'll keep the all-star weekend. Um, on the all-star week, I should say, just move from July to August. And right now, at least the schedule um, is supposed to end on September 27th. That is the last game on Sunday everyone plays. What I would do is I would extend the season two extra weeks, end it October 11th. So that way, in, in total, you have 125 games played which if you go by percentages, 
is 77% of the season that you could fit in by starting on June 1st, playing doubleheaders every other Sunday, and ending the season two weeks later. And especially now with the way the seasons are changing, and especially at least in the Northeast, I can t- speak to this more, you know, especially if, if you're used to living in the Midwest or out, out, out West, is that the weather is still nice. September is a gorgeous month here in New York. And going to October 11th, it's not going to get that cold. So if you extend the season two extra weeks, it's still going to be pretty nice for the most part. We're not going to have to worry about snow outs. We're not going to have to worry about playing games in 35-degree temperatures for the most part. It's still going to be decently nice to where the schedule and the game won't really um, get affected too much by the weather. So like I said, you'll play 125 games, which is basically 77% of the season. And at least if you look at the way the NBA is right now, they, if they just stop and if they resume, which I'll kind of get to the NBA, how they should, um, they should go about their schedule too, they've played 80% of their schedule right now. So if they, if they decide to come back in June or July and just go right to the playoffs, sure, some teams, especially in the West with that eight seed being so highly contested, would get screwed. But at the same time, you've played 80% of your games. So uh, sure, you know, you, you, there's some time to, to catch up, and obviously you didn't play the full 182, uh, 82, excuse me. But in a time where this is unprecedented, obviously this is a national pandemic or a global pandemic, I should say, this, it doesn't call for extreme, I mean, it calls for extreme actions. And this is not exactly extreme, but at least I think making up the majority, I think a lot of owners, GMs, and players would sign up for the NBA if you told them that the season would come to a screeching halt, 80% of their games already being played, I think they'd sign up for, and MLB being close to 77% of their games being played for with this new adjusted schedule, um, I think at least would work. And that way, too, at least despite, you know, the season ending two extra weeks, so meaning that the World Series would go basically into the second week of November, I still keep the playoffs as is. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't change them as, as um, I wouldn't shrink them. I wouldn't try to play with neutral sites because at least to me, the way I view it, I know Scott Boris at least thinks that playing it through Christmas would get a lot of ratings and it'll be good for sponsorships when you at least have a neutral site deemed to be the World Series. In his mind, I forget which, if he did if he listed a statement out, but if you have the World Series at Dodger Stadium, let's say, it helps sponsors because they know where it is every year and they can already start selling sponsorships and start really getting plans made to have a week-long World Series in L.A., sort of like what the Super Bowl does, right? Every year you know where the Super Bowl is. You have festivities and all the pomp and circumstance surrounding the game. Scott Boris wants to bring that to baseball. And at least to me, the reason why I'm not a fan of that is because obviously, as fans already, we are already missing games. Again, today's opening day. I, it, it, this is the first time really that's having no sports kind of hit home and kind of uh, made me feel a little bit depressed. So with already basically two months lost of games, despite you know you, you making up as many games as you can, the fans to me at least deserve home playoff game and World Series games because they've already lost so much already. And not to mention, having a home field advantage is so important and so key in World Series games. And even playoff games, right? You had that electricity. It's so much fun watching games on TV when you have the stadiums rocking, the fans are going crazy. You're not going to get that if it's a neutral site playoff game or World Series game. So at least to me, I, I love how in the three other major sports in hockey, basketball, and baseball, you have World Series games played on home fields. I think that is a great reward, not just for the fans, but also makes the game much more enjoyable to watch on TV. So the, that's why what I would do, again, doubleheaders every other Sunday, um, extend the season two weeks if you started June 1st, play the schedule as is. Uh, at least to me, you get, again, 125 of the 162 games, so you salvage most of the year, which, you know, is, I think, at least impressive to where we could think it could go to where, you know, you were looking at a, a seriously condensed schedule. And not to mention, too, at least, at least my thinking is it's not a, it's not a lot. The, the schedule's not condensed enough where that could lead to sloppy play and injuries. 
playing to me at least double headers every week, playing nine games a week, and basically trying to fit a full season into a shorter time span only leads to more injuries and sloppier play. So at least spreading the season out still, having at least some sort of normal schedule, while also at the same time playing a, a decent amount of games, I think will lead to the best product on the field. And not to mention, too, if you're only moving the, the you know basically everything of the regular season back two weeks, you end the season two weeks later, the playoffs and the World Series start two weeks later, you could start the offseason two weeks later and carry that over into the next year. So spring training starts two weeks later than normal, which is huge because the season starting on March 26th, to me at least, is too risky in terms of weather. We're lucky here, at least in New York, it's a beautiful morning this morning, it's supposed to be 55 degrees. But how many times in Colorado, Cleveland, New York, like, it could easily be very cold, rainy, snowy. If you push the season back and the start of the season back two weeks next year, you have the season starting in middle April. Again, it just gives you a better chance to have some better weather, a little bit warmer temperatures, and maybe save yourself from some rainouts and early season cancellations because the weather is so crappy in these northeast and northern cities like Detroit um, who play outside for you know the first month when it's frigid. So at least that's what I would do. I'd love to get your thoughts on what you would do with MLB schedule. Do you want to see a full 162 play? Do you want to see them just kind of – Whenever they start it, let's just say June 1st, arbitrarily, do you want to see a full 162? Again, Scott Boris wants to see it, and he wants to go have the World Series go through Christmas. Are you a fan of that? Do you want to see playoff baseball bleeding into November and December? Again, I'd love to get your thoughts on how MLB should go about their schedule. So get your thoughts when we come back, and we'll stick on the schedules, because also Adam Silver and Mark Cuban had some interesting thoughts about the NBA schedule, which we'll get into as well. So it is The Morning Boys with Ryan Hickey right here on the World Wide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We are back on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Thank you so much for tuning in. Ryan Hickey here with you till 11 a.m. on the East Coast. Um, if you just missed it or just tuning in now, I should say, we do appreciate you, uh, you tuning in and hopefully at least working from home. Whatever you're doing is not too boring, not too monotonous. And at least here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, we can give you some sort of escape, some sort of entertainment, at least for a few hours twice a week. That is the, uh, that is the goal. Um, so the, at least the, um, the one question I kind of want to reverberate through the show here and kind of just keep bringing up and get your thoughts as we go on is what is one sporting event that you would change? Um, I'll give you mine. I kind of talked about it in the open here that I watched it last night. I just kind of remember what it was, what it was like because I was, I was pretty young. Um, I was about, let's see, 12 years old. Um, and despite, you know, it happening 15 years ago, I haven't really watched too many of the highlights since. And so I decided last night, you know what, since this, this question I kind of want to bring up and I want to bring it up throughout the show – so kind of relive it and see if I'm over it yet, at least. Um, and that is Carlos Beltran. If you're a Mets fan, you remember this well, looking at College Strike 3 from Adam Wainwright um, as the Mets lost Game 7 of the NLCS at home. The Cardinals would go on to win the World Series that year. And the Mets, for the magical year they had, the insane regular season they had running through the regular season and then running through the Dodgers in the NLDS, I really thought that they were going to go to the World Series. Game 7, bases loaded, Carlos Beltran. And he looks at strike three, and I saw the curveball last night. I actually saw the whole bat. First of all, I forgot it was three pitches. It was bases loaded, two outs, bang, bang, bang. This, the year is over. The season's over. And that was the first time, I believe, at least I can remember, they actually cried over sports. I'll never forget watching the game with my dad, watching that strike three call, and I burst out crying. And so that was at least the one outcome I would change if I could change um, any outcome that comes in sports. To me, at least that is definitely the one 
I would re- have Carlos Beltran swing at strike three at least uh, or swing at the curveball um, and hopefully he gets a hit. But that is by far the uh, the moment that still lasts and, and carries with me probably the rest of my sports life. Maybe it'll go away if the Mets win a World Series in my lifetime. But at least for now, being so close, having a team that really should have won the World Series, um, that is the moment that stands out to me. Beth Truncali, uh, my cousin, what's up, Beth, uh, puts in the Kawhi Leonard shot. She being a, uh, a now a transplant Philly, um, uh, a Philly person, so she's a big Sixers fan. And obviously Kawhi Leonard, you remember the shot um, in Toronto, bounced I think it was four or five times off the rim and goes in as Kawhi Leonard uh, helped send the Raptors last year to the Eastern Conference Finals, which they get past the Bucks and Giannis, and then obviously go get past the Warriors. So that was her shot. She would change it to where that shot does not go in and maybe obviously play overtime. I'm sure she hopes that the Sixers um, win that game, but that is a, she would change the Kawhi Leonard shot. So, again, if there's any sports moment or sporting event outcome that you would change, um, feel free to comment either on Facebook uh, underneath the video or on Twitter at Worldwide, or actually, I'm sorry, at WWSRN underscore radio, excuse me, at WWSRN underscore radio, or my personal Twitter handle, Ryan underscore Hickey and the number three. So if you're just tuning in, again, love to get your thoughts. MLB is supposed to have opening day today. Obviously, the coronavirus is not allowing for that. And we talked about how, excuse me, my... <laughs> The burps just keep on coming. I, I apologize for that. Um, but we talked about how MLB at least should change our schedule. I thought pick it up June 1st, uh, doubleheader every other um, Sunday, stretch the season out by two weeks. So I ended October 11th. That way you get 125 games in. And then change, nothing changed, nothing from there. Playoffs the same, World Series the same, and try to fit it all in again. Just basically extend it by two weeks. Um, so that's my thoughts. Again, love to get your thoughts um, either, on, again, on Facebook or Twitter or if you want to shoot me a text. That will uh, get read on the air as well. So with MLB talking about their scheduling, MLB is no, uh, excuse me, NBA is another league that has some scheduling interest. And the big question is, when can we see the NBA return and what will it look like? Right? They've played 80% of their games just about. Teams have played just about 65 of the 82 games on their schedule. Um, Adrian Wojnarowski is reporting that NBA is basically bracing for a mid to late June at best return. Now, it's interesting because Mark Cuban, owner of the Mavericks, obviously Shark Tank, um, superstar and just out, one of the most outspoken and great owners in the NBA and really in sports, he had an interesting timeline. He hopes for an earlier timeline. He almost he cited mid-May, and so he's kind of following the same guidelines as Rob Manfred MLB is, where he's hoping that by mid-May the NBA could be back. And I'm sure if it's mid-May, that would probably mean that playing games in empty arenas to start, but that also mean you would probably finish as much as possible the regular season. And I'm interested because, obviously, coronavirus is very serious. So I'm not trying to diminish um, the virus or, you know, not be aware of how severe it is. So please at least understand that's where I'm coming from. And when I say what I'm about to say, I don't mean that this is just a slight inconvenience. It's really nothing major. Like, this is obviously a a worldwide pandemic and is extremely serious. But if we're talking about strictly sports, just looking at it from a strictly um, sports point of view, looking at the season stopping in the middle and trying to restart and try to get back to as normal as possible. Could the NBA season being delayed, again, coronavirus and the seriousness aside, actually be good for the league? Mark Cuban thinks so, and I actually agree with him. And here's why. A few weeks ago we talked about this. You had Hawks CEO Steve Coonan. He laid out a plan a few weeks ago back in January, even before the season was cut short by coronavirus, even before really – stopping the season even before coronavirus was really even a serious concern in this country. He let out a few weeks ago a plan as 
as to how the NBA could garner more interest in the regular season, in the playoffs, and basically hold a strong, you know, get a, basically a good foothold on the second main sport in the U.S. behind football and behind the NFL. And his idea was basically you start the season in December, which unofficially, you know, unless you are a die, die, diehard NBA fan, most of the national media and most of the average to pretty interested NBA fan will really start tuning in for real, really start kind of getting, you know, into these games right around Christmas time, right? Christmas time, Christmas Day, the five games that they roll out on Christmas Day is basically the unofficial start to the NBA season. Despite it starting in October, going through two weeks, people mostly start to pay attention right around Christmas Day. So Steve Kuhn saying, well, if that's when people start to focus in and start to actually you know, pay attention to our league and get into the games, why not just start Christmas Day? Which would mean that the playoffs would be pushed back and start in June. Instead of ending in June, it would start in June. And you'd have the finals basically go on in August. So take over the entire, uh, t- entire summer calendar where just baseball has a stranglehold for the most part and inject the NBA playoffs. And to me, this makes all the sense in the world if you're the NBA. Because especially with the NFL adding a 17th game, the season is only expanding if you're the NFL. So if you're the NBA, you're trying to have some sort of foothold, you're trying to have some sort of relevance in the sports landscape. Starting your season in October and basically being irrelevant for the first two months, and now it's going to change maybe even the first two and a half or three months because now the NBA, uh, NFL season is adding a 17th game, so the regular season is going to get longer, the players are going to get longer, and the Super Bowl is going to be pushed back. So now all of a sudden, in early, instead of early February, maybe you're talking about mid-February to where the NFL schedule uh, concludes and the Super Bowl is done. So now, at least if you start in December, obviously Christmas Day is going to be still a huge, huge, huge following. You may even get more viewers because that's finally for these fans. That's the first time they could see their teams play. You're going to have some great matchups, obviously, as they always do. And now you're going to add more relevancy to the, to the league because instead of having your chance or having the risk of being irrelevant for, let's just say, not just two months, but maybe three or four months until the NFL season is well uh, out of the picture, you save yourself and put yourself on the forefront to where now, if you start Christmas Day, maybe you only have a month, month and a half of where people aren't paying attention too, too much. And then once the uh, Super Bowl ends, now people will be locked in on the NBA. And especially once the playoffs come in June, it's going to be that in baseball. And obviously, as we know, baseball is not a national sport. It is a very regional sport. So to have NBA playoffs going on that time, I think it will be better for the ratings. And that's what Mark Cuban is talking about. The ratings will be through the roof for the playoffs and the finals because there's really nothing else competing against it. You look when the finals and the playoffs are now in April, May, and June. You have NHL playoffs going on. You have, obviously, the NBA playoffs going on, and you have MLB starting. Not to mention March Madness, despite not really having to do with the playoffs, but towards the end of the year. So you have the regular season ending when March Madness is starting. You have MLB kicking off, and then you have the NHL playoffs coming down the line. So there's a lot going on both at the beginning of the season for the NBA and the end of the regular season for the NBA. So just now, if you start it later on and you end the regular season, let's say late May, early June, you can absolutely get more fans. And I think more people will be paying attention to the NBA. And not to mention, obviously, this is a radical situation thrown out by Kuhn, right? Like this is, you have to basically be all in. You can't test this. Because once you go about changing the schedule, right, once you start the season in December, you push it back two months, there's basically no going back because if you, if let's say they do that one year and it doesn't work out and all of a sudden now the finals are in August, really nothing's changed rating why the players aren't happy about it. They just rather keep the season and go back to the way it is starting October and ending in June. Well, all of a sudden now it's harder to go back because once the finals end in August, you're going to start the season again in two months 
and have all these players, especially the teams that made the playoffs, made it deeper on the playoffs, or go to the finals now, basically have a month and a half off, not even, before they have to go back to a, a grueling, long regular season. And that's the thing about this plan that's risky per se, just by without anything um, forcing them to do, is because once you go in, you're basically stuck there. Whether it works or not, it's hard to kind of pivot out of a new schedule and kind of either pushing the season or condensing one season and then also having a quick turnaround for the following year. So at least to, the reason why I say that th- this, um, this break for the NBA could actually be good for the league is because this theory is basically allowed to get tested risk-free. The NBA doesn't have an option right now. They are forced to push a season back. So let's say that it happens on June 1st. Well, let's just say that MLB resumes June 1st. Let's just say, for argument's sake, NBA, same thing. The regular season comes back June 1st. This is a great chance where you can play maybe a truncated or almost all the regular season, then have two months of playoffs in July and August, but you want to have the finals in August. If it works, the interest is higher, the ratings are better, you can keep it. Because guess what? If that's the case, you're already forcing, uh, you're already forced to push your season back next year just because the season was forced to push back already. So now, no matter what happens, if it works good or not, you have at least a proving ground and a testing ground to where you won't get criticized because you had no other choice. Right? If this doesn't work, sure, you know, it may hurt next year. You may have to make some choices next year about maybe cutting back some games or uh, you know, condensing the schedule a little bit more. But at least now, at least this break in the NBA season allows the NBA to test this theory. And obviously you hear Mark Cuban's all, all on it. And at least allows them to give them a sample size of how NBA uh, playoffs would rate in the summertime and how finals would rate in August compared to, again, June. And really, right now, the only thing that would suffer in terms of this, if the full-time schedule is moved from December to August is really the, the draft of free agency. Obviously, last year, free agency was the biggest uh, probably of all time in the NBA when you have so many big-time free agents leaving. And obviously, July 1st, it was all NBA for a few weeks there. And basically, the NBA dominated the month of July. So obviously you have the draft of free agency suffer because if the uh, finals end in August, you probably have the draft of free agency around September or so, which obviously right in the swing of NFL and college football starting, you'd probably lose some attention for that. But you know, you're not relying too much on, on the draft and NBA to bring in massive ratings anyway, especially considering that most years are not like what happened last year. Right? Last year was an anomaly where you had all these big time stars being available and trading places. That's not going to happen, especially this year. That's not going to happen. It's not going to happen too often. So at least that suffering, I think, would be a, a good long-term goal for the NBA because now you have the regular season being boosted and the players being boosted. So less regular season competition would be a plus for the NBA. And I think all, all around, if they follow kind of the plan that Steve Coonan laid out, and where even if you play, let's say, just about, again, 17 games, let's say you play eight or 10 games left, right? Just kind of condense it a little bit. So where you still have kind of the playoffs on schedule, but you don't want to play the full 17 because it kind of pushes it back too late, do that, fine. It gives you a proving ground, a testing ground, to see if this new NBA schedule possibly could work, possibly equitable going forward. And you may be able to implement it as soon as next year. If it works and you push the season back to December and you start it December 2020, you're off and running. You don't have to worry about anything again. The season's already in place. It's already, the schedule's already been changed. Players are aware and adapting. And from there, if this works, you could really change the landscape and have NBA solidify themselves at that second main sport. So let's get your thoughts on and would, would you be open to the NBA? Right? I mean, I, I personally would not. I'm a, base, I'm a huge, huge baseball fan. So at least to me, I enjoy the summers. I don't get sick of watching Mets baseball or whatever baseball game is broadcast nationally on ESPN. So at least to me... 
I do enjoy the grind of the MLB season, and I do kind of enjoy sitting down every night watching just the Mets or, again, whatever game is being televised nationally. So I don't really need the NBA personally to expand to June, July, and August because I'm not desperate for sports because I have my sports fixed enough with baseball. And so at least trying to, you know, balance watching the playoff games and baseball games, at least to me, I don't, I would not be totally for it. Um, but I think overall for the health of the league, for the goodness of the league and the attention and relevancy for the league, I think it would be absolutely a home run uh, for the association. Let's get your thoughts. And again, would you be open to the NBA playing their season December to August, and again, having their playoffs basically carry through the summer months. So we'll get your thoughts on that. And Dak Prescott and the Cowboys, when we come back, are back at the negotiating table. Why the Cowboys should absolutely honor Dak's request. I'll kind of get into that and how the Cowboys should go about signing their franchise quarterback. When we come back on The Morning Boys uh, with Ryan Hickey right here on the Worldwide Sports. There we go, Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. We are back on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, hopefully giving you some good feelings. Flo Rider here, great throwback, um, as it is a gorgeous Thursday. Hopefully everyone, again, is uh, staying safe and not getting uh, at least too stir-crazy yet as a lot, of, uh, a lot of people are working from home. I know, at least for me, I tried last week. I tried three days. It was, uh, it was a little tough, so I cannot imagine doing it, you know, going on two weeks now. So hopefully everyone is staying sane. At least we can provide a little bit of entertainment here for the next two hours. Um, the, the question I kind of want to throw out throughout the show is uh, if you can change the outcome of one sporting event, what would it be? Mine would be uh, the Mets-Cardinals Game 7 of the NLCS back in 2006. Uh, obviously, for Mets fan, you remember, you remember it well. Probably, unfairly, the lasting legacy of Carlos Beltran or the first po- thought that pops in your head is him looking at Adam, Waits, uh, Adam Wainwright's strike three as the Cardinals go on to the World Series. So that's one thing I would definitely would change. Um, my cousin Beth says that she would change the Kawhi Leonard shot last year as the Raptors defeated the uh, Sixers at the buzzer. The ball that bounced four or five times off the rim before finally dropping in to send the uh, the Raptors to the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, she thinks the Sixers would have won in overtime, and she is shaking as we we discussed it before. So I feel your pain. That's you know those are the moments that you really really would love to have back. And until your team, if your team ever kind of gets some redemption, kind of gets to the big stage and gets over the hump and wins. Those are really those moments that unfortunately never get past. Obviously, that's still a fresh wound last year. Um, and at least with Carlos Belchon striking out back in 06, that is still a wound that 15 years later, looking back on watching the highlight last night, still still kind of hurts. So again, if you have your thoughts, either comment on Facebook underneath the show, um, on Twitter at WWSRN underscore radio, or uh, Facebook is World Art Sports Radio Network or my uh, personal Twitter handle, at Ryan underscore Hickey and the number three, to give you any sporting event that you would change the outcome of and, uh, and why. So we still have a lot to get to on the show. Really, for nothing going on, still a lot to get to sports-wise, which is good. But also, obviously, trying to keep the show entertaining, trying to keep it fun. Um, so I do have some fun topics here. Um, still have to discuss. If you're a big Office fan, um, there was some interesting news. I read an article yesterday um, that you may not be happy with. Kind of what we'll get to that in a little bit as well. Um, and I mentioned this earlier, but at least, you know, I, I see a lot of shows and some ideas at least, um, and some shows are doing with the audience, it's kind of having a group watch long, right? You say a show or a movie that you guys, you know, that um, the hosts want to watch and 
maybe you give them a few days or a week and then you come back and talk about it. And I'm hoping to do that here if you guys are willing. Um, and at least the show that I think, if you haven't heard about it, it's really the show that's being talked about right now on Netflix is Tiger King. So I started watching it this week. Um, I have one episode left. I watched two last night, so I just have the finale remaining. It's a seven-part series. If you haven't watched it, I highly, highly suggest it. It is wild, I think, would be underrating kind of, kind of the craziness there. It's basically about, not to give anything away, um, these people who basically own exotic zoos, right? They buy these tigers and lions and panthers and chimpanzees and basically have these exotic animals that aren't pets, but they basically make their own zoos, um, you know, at their house or by this land, and basically you can go and get up close and personal, closer than you would at any other zoo. And in the case of some of these, you know, see more exotic animals than maybe you would at a zoo. And so this is a documentary kind of following those people along. But there's a lot of twists and turns. There's some murder for hire involved. There's there's a lot of different storylines outside of just running this so-called zoo that it is it is so entertaining. And if you're on social media, this is really the, the show that's being talked about um, the most out of anyone. And it is – I highly suggest you watch it. And so, again, if, if you guys either have watched it or maybe think about watching it, what I'm going to try to do is hopefully give you the weekend. Obviously, we're not back until Monday. Watch the show. It's seven, seven episodes. They're about 45 minutes each or so. And hopefully on Monday we can kind of talk about it. You can drop your thoughts either on Facebook or Twitter or a text. And you can just kind of – we call it just give our thoughts because at least I know I was talking uh, with my girlfriend Lauren yesterday and she, I, at that point I only watched three episodes and she was ahead of me. But we were just kind of talking about the three episodes we watched. We probably talked for 45 minutes just about those three episodes and everything that goes around because there's just – you have the main character. You have the antagonist. You have another antagonist. You think one person's good. They, also, they turn out to be bad and all of this – so much going on again just in three episodes now um so tiger king hopefully the goal again if you guys want to watch it or have already watched it monday i love to dedicate um a good amount of time just to give give our thoughts because i feel like this show there's so many different ways to look at it there's so much going on that it is it is crazy it is absolutely crazy um so like i said hopefully um if you guys want to do that we can talk about it on monday for sure again tiger king on netflix Highly suggest, very entertaining, and it uh, it leaves you on the edge of your seat. To be honest, every episode I've watched, especially last night, I finished it and I wanted to watch another episode. Had to go to bed, but it's one of those shows where it definitely leaves you on the edge of your seat and it wants you uh, wanting more for sure. So we're talking about it. Tiger King on Monday. We do have some sports again to get to here, um, and it's interesting because last night you had Ed Warder of ESPN report that Dak Prescott and the Cowboys returned to the negotiating table. So. Last week, obviously, Dak Prescott, or I should say, heading to this year, he would be a free agent. Played his four years, contract is up, and the Cowboys decided to franchise tag Dak Prescott, which means that basically you sign him to a one-year deal. The money is basically the average of the, the highest quarterbacks paid. That's the average of what he'll get, and it's all guaranteed. So basically, Dak Prescott was franchised by the Cowboys, and he will play for one year for about $33 million. But given the franchise tag does, at least it gives the Cowboys some time to negotiate a long-term deal. So they have until the summertime to talk with Dak and try to get a, a long-term contract hammered out. He, he's in Dallas for a while. And what I would do if I was the Cowboys, and part of the, the report that Ed Werder, again, uh, was reporting last night, was that, the Cowboys, it seemed like, you know, Jerry Jones at least has spoken, and there have been thoughts that this, this contract would get done even going back to last year. 
Um, earlier in the season, you had Jerry talk about how a contract a, agreement was imminent back in September. Obviously, that was not the case. The two apparently are apart on both the amount of money per year and the amount of years. And so at least now that the Cowboys wanted Dak under contract for seven, I guess it seemed like Dak wanted a, a lesser contract so he can get back on the free agent market while he's still young because the, the, uh, the money for a franchise quarterback is only going up, especially the salary cap now with the new CBA side. The money's only going to increase. And so Dak Prescott wants to cash in as much as possible. So he wants a shorter-term deal so he can get back on the free agent market and get as much money as possible. So now at least it's being reported last night that the Cowboys and, and Dak Prescott are getting closer in years. Cowboys want to sign Dak Prescott for five years. Dak Prescott wants to be a, a Cowboy for four years and then obviously reevaluate after that. But so my plan is at least saying that the Cowboys should honor what Dak wants, and this is, this is what I mean by that. Dak wants a shorter contract. Give it to him. Do absolutely what the Redskins and Kirk Cousins did. Go the franchise route, go year by year. And this is why. I personally, I understand Dak Prescott had a franchise year, uh, a career year last year, excuse me, and the Cowboys offense had some success despite, you know, missing the playoffs. Um, but at least for me, I do not view Dak Prescott as a franchise quarterback. I don't. I, I could absolutely be wrong. You know, maybe this is only the ascent, and especially now, with bringing in Mike McCarthy, you see the success that Mike McCarthy had with Aaron Rodgers, especially early on. Maybe you think that at least I was on the, the boat that I thought the, the Cowboys roster last year was very talented. And the head coach um, was holding them back. He was too conservative, didn't give them a chance to win enough. And again, that's probably why the Eagles, despite having a million and million injuries, still won the division and won a huge game in Philly, Week 16, uh, to win the clinch that division. Again, as the Cowboys had a very, very disappointing year. But if Dak wants shorter terms, I would do it. I would absolutely franchise him and go year by year. We could franchise a player for three straight years, and obviously the money is going to increase every single year, but at least you're guaranteeing yourself, and you're, I should say you're not exposing yourself to being in cap hell and really having a bad contract with a quarterback that's not living up to it. Because at least to me, the worst thing an NFL team could do right now with the way the salary for quarterbacks are ballooning, the way or how much – uh, of an importance the quarterback position is, not just in the NFL, but really in sports, right? It, it is the most important position in all of sports right now. So you have to get it right. To me, the biggest mistake an NFL team can make right now in this day and age in 2020 is paying a quarterback franchise money, elite quarterback money, when they aren't at that level. And it, it's easy to do now because you see these salaries continuing to balloon, and basically every young quarterback that's up for a new contract or contract extension is reset in the market. So whatever the last guy makes, Russell Wilson was the last quarterback to sign a big deal. I believe it was four years, $144 million, if I'm not mistaken. He gets about $35 a year. So now $35 million a year is the bar set for the next round of young quarterbacks trying to get paid. Dak Prescott sees that. He wants $40 million. And you're going to have Patrick Holmes and Deshaun Watson get paid as well. And there's talk of Patrick Holmes being the first $50 million quarterback a year. And he's worth it. He's absolutely worth it because he's a guy who elevates a team around him. He can play with whatever weapons you give him. He can make those guys better, similar to what Peyton Manning does, similar to what Tom Brady does. Give him an average guy, he'll make him above average. Give him a, a mediocre guy, he'll make him average. You need, if you're going to pay the quarterback big bucks, they have to be the kind of players that can elevate an average guy to above average and make everyone around him better, not vice versa. Not have a, a great team around them that elevate the play of the quarterback. Personally, that's what I think is happening to Dak Prescott. I think he's a product of a situation which Dallas has smartly done where they built their offensive line for years through the draft, signed them early on, so they signed them to contract extensions while they're still young, so you get them at a discounted rate. 
You bring in Amari Cooper. You have Ezekiel Elliott. So at least to me, I think Dak Prescott is benefiting more from the pieces around him rather than Dak Prescott elevating the play of those guys around him. That's how I feel. So with that being the case, I would not pay Dak Prescott four year or you know four years, forty million dollars a year. I wouldn't do it because guess what? At least to me, I look at the Rams right now with Sean McVay and Jared Goff. Jared Goff, they give him a big extension, pay him a lot of money. He gets to the Super Bowl. Had a great year in 2018. Do not get me wrong. 2019 was concerning, though, because you saw Todd Gurley being out of the lineup, not being played or, or not getting, I should say, as much success as he as he did in the past. Obviously, you see him. Now they cut him. Um, and now you, you put a lot of big money in a few players. And right now, Jared Goff seriously regressed last year. There's even some concern going back to 2018 that a lot of the success – Jared Goff had was due in part to Sean McVay basically helping him read the defense, helping him put him in positions to succeed. And again, the running game was great. He had great weapons on, on the outside and for the most part played really well in 2018. But now you see they signed that big contract extension and now all of a sudden players are starting to get or starting to become cap casualties because of this. I still think there's a lot of burn left in, you know, there's still a lot of gas in Todd Gurley's tank. You have to obviously significantly reduce the amount of carries he gets and the amount of touches he gets. I think to me, despite the knee injury, he's still still a, a valuable weapon and a valuable part of the Rams. But because they gave so much money to Jared Goff, and now they really need to give him some more weapons to try to elevate his play, Todd Gurley was a casualty of that, and they had to free up some money to sign someone else elsewhere. I view it where if the Cowboys give Dak $40 million a year, $35 million a year for four or five years, you're not going to be able to retain a lot of the players around him that lead to his success. Really, obviously, you, you have Amari Cooper, you got the long-term deal, and you have Ezekiel Elliott under contract for eight or, I guess, seven more years now, which I will be floored. I said this on Monday. We're talking about the, uh, the running back shelf life. I'll be floored if Ezekiel Elliott sees the end of that contract, maybe even sees half of that contract. Signed the six-year extension with two years remaining, so he has eight years left in Dallas, and again, now seven. Makes it to year four. Good for him. That is that is a guy who really is cashing in on his contract. So at least to me, I think the Cowboys are making a huge, huge, huge mistake. They pay Dak Prescott like he's Russell Wilson. Pay Dak Prescott like he's even Carson Wentz. Pay him like he's going to be Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Watson. And that's how you can really hinder your team. Because once you have a lot of money tied up in the quarterback position, and he's not the guy that elevates your team, that brings guys to a different level and makes your team overall better, the entire rest of the team crumbles because you have a huge chunk tied in one position. That's not great. You need to bring in better players to elevate his play, and you can't do that because you don't have enough money to do it. So if I was the Cowboys, I would go year by year. I would follow the Kirk Cousins and Redskins route. He's going to get $33 million this year, which, again, is about market value for a, a franchise quarterback. Take it year by year. The salary cap's only going to go up now. With the, with the new CBA signed, the salary cap is going to increase. So you still have cap flexibility to basically go year by year where Dak's salary, even if you go year by year, you're still going to increase pretty, pretty rapidly. And if I'm wrong, if the Cowboys are wrong, and he turns out to be a great fit with Mike McCarthy, turns out to be the reason why they are winning games, then sign him to a long-term deal. To me, that, that's exactly what I would do. Take a year by year, have him prove that he can be your franchise guy, and then pay him the money. I, I know he's not going to be happy. He probably is going to miss a lot of off-season workouts. He probably could even hold out of training camp. He's going to play. 
He has to play. And at least to me, I think that little ill will, that anger towards the organization would be worth it because, again, it's not worth paying him the money that he's not. You can't pay him to be the player you hope he is if he's not that kind of guy. You can't pay him to be a Russell Wilson or Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Watson if he's not that. You have to be careful about that, and that's why I think if I was the Cowboys, I would go year by year. You can do it for up to three years. So you have basically a three-year runway to say, how can he fit in this Mike McCarthy offense? Is he the reason why we were winning games? And from there, if he's not, you can reevaluate in 2021. You won't kill your cap, and you can either draft a guy that you think will be or a good replacement, make a trade, sign. You have flexibility to basically pivot in whatever direction you want to at the quarterback position. And it's important for Dallas because I still think they have a very talented roster. I love their offensive line. Mark Cooper is a top-five wide receiver. Ezekiel Elliott is a top-five running back. They have DeMarcus Lawrence on the defensive line. I like their, their linebacker room. They have talent on many sides of the ball and in many different positions. And especially with Jerry getting older, you know Jerry Jones only wants to win. So his window is shrinking to see a Cowboys Super Bowl. So I don't think he would be shy if he doesn't think Dak Prescott is the guy. Poet, I didn't even know what that little rhyme. Don't be shy if he's not the guy. And move on if you think you can upgrade. So what would you do? Would you, I mean, do you, do you believe in Dak Prescott more than I do? Um, again, I'm certainly a, a doubter, at least right now. I'd um, love to get your thoughts on if Dak Prescott is worth franchise money. Is he worth $35 million a year? Is he worth $40 million a year? Would you give him a long-term extension, or would you, again, would you go year by year and kind of play that to see how he plays? So we'll get your thoughts um, on that. And when we come back, again, we'll talk about The Office. If you're a big fan of The Office, I think it's one of the best shows, if not the best show in all of television. An interesting article I read yesterday kind of detailed at least Michael Scott leaving after season seven and why it may, it may not have been mutual. So we kind of get to that when the morning boys of Ryan Hickey return right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. <laughs> Welcome back into the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Morning Boys with Ryan Hickey right here on this beautiful Thursday morning. And the song's only fitting because it should be opening day in baseball. Unfortunately, coronavirus had other plans for that. And uh, this is at least the first day having, so what are we at, about two weeks and a day since uh, no sports. I believe it was two weeks, right, or three weeks? Jesus, it's all starting to blend together, to be uh, completely honest since the NBA announced that they are canceling their season. And um, I think it's three weeks. So the NBA canceled their season and obviously, or postponing their season, I should say. Then the NHL followed suit, MLB followed suit. Um, but this is really the first day, I think, that it kind of no sports is really, really hurting. Opening day is always one of the best days of the year. Um, and to have not have that today, especially when you look outside, at least here in New York, and it is a gorgeous, gorgeous day. Not a cloud in the sky, it's supposed to be 55 degrees. As a great of a day you could have had for opening day on March 26th. And it's kind of have that hanging over knowing that there'll be no baseball, at least today, and no baseball for probably for the next two months. It, uh, it definitely is a little bit depressing, and it, um, it definitely hurts a little bit. So today's kind of the first day where really kind of hits home and, and really the depression starts to set in um, that no sports are going on. There's really no baseball. Um, but we are, you know, still a lot, lot of sports still to get to. 
Um, the kind of the question we're going around throughout the uh, throughout the show today is if there's one sport event you can change the outcome of, what would it be? We had Kawhi Leonard shot not going in um, uh, for the Raptors last year against the Sixers to send the Raptors to the Easter Conference Finals last year. Uh, mine was Carlos Belcha not, or not looking at strike three um, against the Cardinals back in 2006 as that strikeout sent the Cardinals to the World Series in which they would eventually win. Um, so if you have any sporting event you'd like to change the outcome of, any sport, um, definitely drop it either on Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network, um, on Twitter at WWSRN underscore radio, um, or if you want to tweet me personally at Ryan underscore Hickey and the number three. So, again, a lot of sports got to talk to, but also trying to keep it entertaining, kind of mix it to pop culture, whatever's kind of going on, I feel like is, is appropriate to kind of include on this show, especially with no sports going on. Trying to keep it entertaining, again, trying to keep you at least well-informed. And personally, this, this story that I read last night kind of hit home. Uh, my favorite show of all time, The Office. I think it's you know safe to say one of the best uh, TV shows in all history. I think there's not many people that have a bad word against the show. Uh, if they've seen it, they most of the most people love it. Again, I really haven't heard much hatred towards the show if you watched it. But one of the negative points, and really I think fans can agree on, is that Michael Scott, aka Steve Carell, once he left um, after season seven, the show was not the same. Season 8 was horrendous. They tried to have Will Ferrell come in and replace Michael. That just went poorly. It was weird because, obviously, you know Will Ferrell as a funny guy, right? Every movie he's in, every, every TV show he's on, any interview he does, he's just a funny human being. And you're not really used to seeing him being in a role that's sort of serious but even tries to be funny but it's not. Like, even in a movie that, you know, let's say for the other guys, right? That's a movie that he's in with Mark Wahlberg where it's a serious role. Per se, you know, he's a, um, a detective in the New York City Police Department. But he still has some good one-liners. He still has some funny lines. And despite it being a serious role where he's actually, you know, again, part of the New York City Police de- Detectives um, Department, he still has some funny jokes and, again, leaves you laughing despite it, for the most part, having a serious character. So you're not used to seeing him being really bad, let's say. But I think it's fair to say he was hor- horrible in the office. Horrible. That, that experiment went, went terribly. And I think it's part of the reason why they kind of, I mean, killed him off. Uh, they didn't really kill him, but obviously they injured him off, let's just say. Gave him a severe enough injury where he couldn't come back. Pretty early on, I think, is, is a, uh, at least a good call by the writers. Knowing that this wasn't working, we've got to get rid of this guy, pivot out. With that said, I thought season nine, I enjoyed season nine. Um, I know, obviously, a lot of people will kind of hold it against the office that Steve Carell's not there. It changed. And I'm with you. Once he left the show, it was definitely not the same. But I did, th- I did enjoy season nine. I thought there were some good moments. I thought there was some, some funny stuff. Um, so I think I enjoyed it more than some people, let's say, or maybe even enjoy most people. But for sure, especially now that you, you know, once you watch seasons one through nine, the biggest thing, especially with a lot of time, a lot of, ne- uh, a lot of time to kill, especially with not much entertainment going on. One of the easy rewatches is The Office. And I found myself, at least throughout the years, and this kind of hit, hit um, this morning, I was kind of thinking about how to talk about this, was that any rewatch you watch of the, of the show, or any episode you want to go back and watch, you rarely go back and watch anything from seasons eight and nine. And I don't think I, I'm trying to think, I don't think I've consciously watched anything just going back, picking episodes, jumping around, that I've consciously picked an episode from either season eight or season nine. It's all been one through seven, which obviously has Steve Carell in it as Michael Scott. And so this news really hurt, you know, pretty bad yesterday. I was reading an article from complex, basically talking about how Michael, it's not, you know, I think for the longest time, we all assume that Michael left, right? He wanted to do other things and the office wanted him to stay, but Steve Carell decided to leave. So that's why they wrote Michael Scott off. And that's why he got married or engaged to Holly moved to Colorado. 
But apparently, Michael or Steve Carell wanted to stay on. And NBC was the one who kind of ushered him out the door. And so uh, what Complex is talking about is they were citing some people who are close to the situation saying that, you know, Steve Carell was unsure. He was talking to BBC, which is obviously the network in, uh, in England, was the one who officially started the office with Ricky Gervais. And they were, you know, then the U.S. version was headed by Michael Scott or Steve Carell playing Michael Scott. But the office first started in England, and BBC was the one who aired it. And so I guess Michael or I apologize, I keep calling him back and forth, but they're the same people. Everyone knows who we're referencing. Steve Carell, I guess, was talking to BBC and had dropped a comment that he's unsure that he, you know, if he wanted to come back or not. And apparently this the word got back to NBC. And NBC was put out by his uncertainty of coming back that basically they kind of shut him out. They didn't even talk to him. Anytime the contract negotiations came up, they didn't really they gave kind of a cold shoulder to Steve and his agent and basically gave Carell the hint that you know, you, as, you might as well look elsewhere for employment. And there's quotes in the article saying that Steve Crow wanted to come back. His agent, you know, him and his agent both put it out to uh, NBC that they wanted to return past season seven. They had plans for sticking on more than just, again, season seven. And that, again, NBC didn't really return the calls, weren't really interested in kind of giving the cold shoulder, I guess because they were hurt and put out that he, in an off, you know, off-color comment or just kind of off-the-cuff comment to BBC, basically said, I'm not 100% convinced that I want to come back uh, past season seven. And gave Carell, again, basically the cue to leave by not really returning or giving him much in terms of contract negotiations. And this honestly hurts because you see how the show drops off, especially in season eight, how much it changes when he leaves. When you have Will Ferrell again come in, you have the search going on, and you have Andy you know, and Dwight both become managers and, and leave for different reasons. The show just wasn't the same. And so it hurts to see such a good show, such a funny show, get derailed and changed, especially because NBC now, it seems like, is the one that kind of, when they had a chance to retain uh, Steve Carell, had a chance to bring him on and keep Michael Scott on the show for more than just season seven, didn't get the job done. Then he leaves, and obviously, by the time they start filming and realizing and getting feedback from critics and fans alike, it's too late. He's gone. So that, that hurt because, I mean, just imagine, again, like I said to start there's really not a bad word said about The Office, especially seasons one through seven. Imagine he stayed on through, let's say, season nine. Imagine if he stayed on, maybe the show even goes past season nine, and who knows where it is at this point. And you have a chance, honestly, the ceiling is high enough to where you, you have a chance to put The Office in the best TV show ever created category if Michael stays on. And that's not hyperbole. Right, people, you want to throw out The Wire, The Sopranos. There are shows, obviously, you know, are going to stick around and people are going to really gravitate to. And for the most part, there is a consensus that this is one of the best shows. The Office is right there. Like I said, I, unless I'm not talking to the right people, there's not many bad words said about The Office. So there's not much dislike about The Office, at least from seasons one through seven. So if, if Michael Scott is able to stay there, if NBC discusses actually just kind of gets over that, you know, for whatever reason they're feeling put out and keeps Steve Curl on, The Office has a legitimate chance to be one of, if not the best TV show um, on television history, and who, again, who knows where it goes from there. So that kind of hurt to at least read yesterday and have, have that kind of come out. Um, so it, it does kind of stink. Again, I know there's a lot of Office fans out there, and I think it's, uh, to me at least, it's my favorite show of all time, but I just couldn't even imagine how much better it would be um, if he stayed on, if Michael Scott stayed on as manager through Season 7. It was what could have been, man. I guess it's one of those woulda, shoulda, coulda 
um, and we'll never really know what ifs scenarios um, in TV history. But just want to kind of get that in. At least if you haven't seen the article, kind of give you uh, an update on at least that. I know there's a lot of Office fans listening. It's a very popular show, especially now. If you haven't seen the show, highly, highly, highly recommend you take these next few days and weeks um, with not much going on to immerse yourself and watch it, especially the first few seasons because back in – I forget when it was created. I think in 06 or 07, maybe earlier than that. I could be completely wrong. There's, there's a lot of off-color jokes and suggestions that probably wouldn't fly in 2020 on TV, so I think it makes it even funnier. Um, so, again, if you're a fan of The Office, what could have been, and it's, it's sad that to hear that at least Michael Scott and Steve Carell wasn't the one who at least wanted to leave or forced the way out is maybe NBC now returning some calls. So, again, any uh, comments on that? If you want to uh, talk about, you know, Michael Scott maybe not being the reason why they left and they kind of forced him out, it definitely hurts. You can drop a comment on Facebook or Twitter. Um, but when we come back, we'll do what we still have, Quarantine Chronicles, we'll get to. Even a story from Sarah contributing, um, again, and also a Pittsburgh lady. These people just drive you crazy, especially during this time. So we have a story about a Pittsburgh lady and what she did in the supermarket this weekend. When we come back, though, Adam Schefter had an idea for the NFL draft. Obviously, it's supposed to be in Las Vegas um, in person, and that has been canceled. The draft is still scheduled to go on uh, for April 23rd to April 25th. Adam Schefter had an idea of how to make it entertaining and make it easier for the teams and players trying to conduct this draft. So we'll kind of get into that and give us uh, give you our thoughts, as well as the morning boys that we roll on on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. The morning boys with Ryan Hickey live until... About 11 o'clock on the East Coast, just about 40 more minutes here as we roll on. Uh, we do appreciate you tuning in and hope we can be a part of your uh, of your Thursday morning. And every Monday and Thursday morning, again, we are here, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You can find us on Facebook if you type in the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You can find us on Twitter at WWSRN underscore radio. But we're also on, uh, we're on YouTube, we're on Periscope, we're on Tune in radio. We are on uh, radio.com. So, a ton of different platforms. And our website, if you go to worldwide sports radio.com, uh, you can find, uh, you can watch, listen to the show right from there as well. And you can also read all the articles that are written. Um, obviously, it's a little bit slower time, so not as many articles being posted currently. Um, but at least I try to write one once a week, and as well as the other hosts um, that we have post a lot of different content on the website. So, again, worldwide sports radio.com, as you can find a ton of write- written content as well as both watch, listen to the show. Whenever you want. And again, if you like like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter, you'll get an alert every time a show goes live. So not just my own um, every Monday and Thursday, but you have a ton of different great shows that we have on the network at night during the afternoon. To keep you updated, excuse me, as we uh, as we go on through this time without any sports. So we still have the Quarantine Chronicles to get to here in a little bit. Um, but this is interesting because I want to kind of get to the NFL draft here quickly because um, Adam Schefter of ESPN was really one of the first to report on the NFL draft not taking place in Las Vegas. It was scheduled to take place uh, in just about a month, April 23rd to 25th. Obviously a huge, huge event. And moving the Raiders to Las Vegas, a, a really a, a kickoff to football coming to Las Vegas. And again, try to get, drum up some excitement with the Raiders coming to town. You're going to have the draft there in Las Vegas for three days. That has been scrapped, obviously, because of the coronavirus. And now um, it seems like it's going to be taken you know, done via teleconference or Skype somehow. But at least Roger Goodell in the NFL is dead set 
on having the NFL draft um, starting on April 23rd like it was supposed to, despite a lot of GMs and coaches um, and teams expressing concern that they don't have enough time to scout players because, obviously, with, with everything going on, they can't travel, they can't go to pro days, they can't interview, bring players uh, into interview. So it kind of is, is throwing a wrench in all of the scouting for these teams, but the show must go on in Roger Dell's mind, so that will not change. But I want to kind of talk about because Adam Schefter had an idea yesterday on ESPN of how he would change the draft and how he would make it an event and also give teams time to uh, kind of change their draft boards and kind of give them more time to make decisions. And that is having a seven-day NFL draft, basically one round a day NFL draft is seven rounds, spread out over seven days um, to where maybe it starts again on April 23rd, that's a Thursday, and run it through the following Wednesday and have one round every night for seven straight days. And at least to me, I am personally not a huge fan of this idea. I understand where you're coming from, and I understand now you, are, you have a huge void of sports. You have all these networks that, that create and budget all this time to play games and have events and just give something to talk about. But at least to me, at least, I, I, I think there is too much anticipation and too much thought that people live and die with the draft as much as they do. I understand the first round is going to be huge. And I understand there's a lot of college football fans that want to see where their favorite players go. There's a lot of NFL fans that love seeing the draft and just kind of having some sort of football back in their lives, similar to NFL free agency just happening this past week or last week. It's just an excuse to talk about the NFL. It's an excuse to kind of distract your mind off of what's going on in a time where there's not many distractions, right? But at least to me, I, I just don't think there's enough interest to drag this out for seven days. I think three days is, is more than enough. And even in a time where there's not much going on, are people really going to care about the fifth round on a Monday night? I'm not. People are really going to tune in to see who you know the 199th overall pick is on day six of the draft. No. So I understand in principle and, and idea, it's a smart idea. You know, theoretically, you know, drum up some more interest for over a week, but I have a tough time at least thinking that fans will be locked in on Monday on day five, fifth round of the draft, um, to see who gets picked and who their team gets picked. Because odds are, a lot of these players picked, fans aren't going to know who they are. They're not going to watch them. They're not going to be aware and, and at least familiar with their skill set. Again, outside if you're a huge college football fan and they went to university, that's a cool moment. But other than that, I don't think the ratings will be there for as much as they think they will be for having the sixth round sit on its own on a Tuesday night. I don't. Despite nothing going on, I think especially there's, a, there's enough distractions with streaming services. You have Ozark coming out on Netflix that is being released tomorrow, which you're a fan of that show. Obviously, that gives you more distractions. And I understand, you know, it's still a month away. There's still, maybe we'll get to a time where there's really nothing going on, right? At least in this time, there's enough sports news going on to keep the show going. I really, if I wanted to, maybe could have done an entire show today just dedicated sports. There's a few sports topics I still haven't gone to yet. There's still enough going on, and obviously that is not going to be a guarantee come next week or two weeks from now, let alone maybe a month from now if we're still nowhere close to resumption of sports. I just would turn, me personally, I'm not, I guess, a huge fan of the draft. I didn't watch any of the combine. I know fans do clamor, and the, the combine does get some pretty good ratings. He tried to move it to primetime this year to really enhance that those ratings. It did not work out to uh, the level that the NFL had hoped. And so at least to me, despite not being many distractions around right now and kind of having a chance to corner the market per se um, and gain a lot of ratings, I don't think that the NFL draft seven, seven rounds over seven days idea 
would still be a monster, uh, a ratings monster that you hope. And that would be a good idea personally. So that's just me. I'd love to get your thoughts. You know, would you be interested in a, a seven day NFL draft? Are you, do you care about who's taken on day six or day seven? Um, again, unless you're a, a diehard college sports fan and you're, you have a guy from your school in there, it's tough to see getting excited about, to be completely honest. I don't really care who the Colts take with the 210th pick, to be honest. I'll care once we get to training camp, you see how those players play, but I have a tough time getting excited in rounds four, five, six, and seven. Sit on the couch for, let's say, two hours, because that's another thing, too. If they do a seven-day draft, part of the reason, at least, that makes watching the, the later rounds entertaining is because you have less time on the clock for, for GMs and teams to make picks, right? I believe it's was eight minutes, I think, on the top of my head that teams have in the first round, and the time decreases in between picks as you, as you go on later on to the point where, you know, in, in the last day when you have rounds, you know, six, five, six, and seven on Saturday, let's say on a normal draft telecast, you have picks coming in every two or three minutes. Are you going to keep the same amount of time allotted to where you're going to basically keep it eight minutes for every single round. So you're going to drag it out for two or three hours. I just, to me, I don't think people will be, you, it's not enough interest to keep people there for two or three hours. And I'll be honest, the round one in the draft gets a little boring. I fell asleep last year. Colts had a later pick in the first round. I was interested. I was, I was staying up. It started, I think, at 8 o'clock or maybe the first pick was 8.30. So by the time, you know, the Colts are up, it's like 10.30, 11 o'clock. I'll be honest, I'm falling asleep on the couch. I am. After the first few picks, it's not that exciting. Sure, you get the quarterbacks going up. You have some trades going, you know, some teams trading back in the first round, trading up in the first round, and that's exciting for sure. But once you get to pick 18, 19, 20, a lot of the big sexy names you've been hearing about for months at a time are off the board. It gets a little boring, I'll be completely honest. So even in the first round, it starts to lose my attention towards the end, and I'm not even sure if, I, honestly, I finished the end of the first round. I may have, but I was probably half asleep by that point. To have that drag out for seven straight days, I'm good. I don't need football that bad, um, to be honest. So I'll pass. I like the, the setup the way it is. Three days, you do the first round on Thursday, rounds two and three, uh, or two, three, and four on Friday, and then five, six, and seven on Saturday. To me, that's enough. Keeps me entertained enough. Um, and I hope at least the NFL keeps that schedule. There's no hint that they won't. There's just Adam Schefter's idea to drum up some more interest especially for a network that carries the draft and ESPN, give them more content for seven straight days, give them more things to air for seven straight days. So you see the motivation that Shifter has, but also, again, uh, NFL and Roger have that same motivation um, of getting ratings, of keeping people interested. But at least to me, that is that's at least not, that would not pique my interest for sure, um, and I would at least pass on, uh, on a seven-day NFL draft. So when we come back, we'll, uh, we'll wrap up the show with, again, if you have a um, – a sporting event outcome that you like to change. Um, I was Carlos Beltran of the Mets looking at strike three back in the 2006 NLCS that sent the Cardinals to the World Series. Um, drop that either on Facebook or Twitter. So we'll get those right on the air, and we'll give you some quarantine chronicles of a wild story uh, for a woman in Pittsburgh and what she did and, and causing just way more harm and panic in this situation. Um, so we're going to get to that as the Morning Boys Ryan Hickey wrap up right here on the World Art Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
Welcome back into the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. The Morning Boys with Ryan Hickey taking you to the top of the hour. We do appreciate you tuning in and making us part of your morning. We uh, got a lot to get to here today. So we, uh, if you're just tuning in and missed the uh, beginning of the show, kind of the question we kind of going through the, uh, the entire show is if you could change one outcome of a sporting event, what would it be? Uh, we've had Kawhi Leonard um, making that just insane three in the corner to uh, to have the Raptors defeat the Sixers and move them on to the Eastern Conference Finals. And again, as we know, the Raptors went on to win the finals last year. Uh, so that was from a 76ers fan, uh, my cousin Beth, that still to this day sings. And again, just about a year ago that happened. So obviously the, the wound is still fresh. Uh, mine was Carlos Belchon looking at strike three uh, back in 06 against the Cardinals. Um, that wound was freshly reopened yesterday after kind of uh, going back to YouTube just to see what it was like and just kind of bring back some memories because obviously, you know, that happened when I was, I think, 12. So just about just about 15 years ago, let's say. And that, yeah, I thought I could handle it. I thought I'd be okay with it, and I've kind of gotten over it by now. Definitely have not brought back a lot of bad feelings um, yesterday watching that. So definitely not over it. So that's one. If I only had one, that was the only one I could uh, – Outcome I would wish to choose. So if you want to uh, include that for you in the show, we'll get them right on air. Uh, either drop a comment on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network Facebook page, or if you want to drop us a tweet at WWSRN underscore radio, or my personal Twitter handle, Ryan underscore Hickey, and the number three. We'll finish off with the Quarantine Chronicles in just a little bit here. Uh, but one, one NFL point I want to get to just before that as we wrap up the show is obviously last week we talked about you know the NFL free agency, and we did react to the Panthers signing Teddy Bridgewater. But with the t- uh, with that signing, basically meant that Cam Newton was out. And there's no hiding that. And the Panthers announced that, you know, they basically are allowing Cam Newton to seek a trade. Cam Newton came out and saying, well, that's not true. You basically forced me to get a trade. I want to stay here. You're not allowing me to stay. And so now, without being able to find a trade partner, the Panthers this week released Cam Newton. And to me, there's one team that fits Cam Newton perfectly for both Cam's point of view and that team's point of view. But there's one huge exception that goes along with this team signing Cam Newton. And this team is a team that's going to a new stadium, that's looking to garner a new fan base, and that is the Los Angeles Chargers. Almost, It's, it's still tough to say Los Angeles Chargers this day. It's still, it's, I don't think people are ever going to get over it. Um, and just accidentally slip up and say San Diego Chargers, but the Los Angeles Chargers. And this really comes with, with you know, one exception, but also assuming, of course, that Cam's medicals check out. That is obviously the first and foremost thing you have to make sure he is healthy. He had shoulder injuries. Obviously, the foot last year, um, the Liz Frank injury kept him out of the last 14 games, and he hurt that uh, in the preseason game against the Patriots. And really, those first two games made it tough for him to even play at his uh, 100%. So obviously, you have to assume at this point that he is medically clear to play, he is healthy. Because there's no point in any team signing if he's not healthy. Obviously, with the coronavirus going on, a little tougher to know that. But assume you can get a doctor and get a physical, and he checks out the shoulder's healthy, the foot is healthy, and theoretically going to 2020, he will be as healthy as possibly can. The Chargers should absolutely sign Cam Newton and bring him in to be their starting quarterback. But this is the one exception. You have to draft a quarterback with the sixth overall pick that they have in this upcoming draft. Have to do it. And here's at least, I'll give you the reasons why signing Cam makes sense, and then I'll give you the reasons why they should absolutely draft a quarterback. The Chargers benefiting from signing Cam Newton 
First of all, there's going to be a ton of excitement heading to a new stadium. Right now, there is no face of the Chargers. None. No excitement. They can barely sell tickets. The Rams are getting frustrated because the Chargers have zero foothold in Los Angeles. None of the, none, nor I should say a little bit, um, not as much as they assumed. Their fans would travel from San Diego to Los Angeles. You saw in the soccer stadium they played in, the 30,000-seat soccer stadium, no one went. Nobody. It was a road game, all 16 games. Every single, home, uh, every single road team that came in to Los Angeles, despite their fan base being small or big, dominated that stadium when they came in there, made it loud. And there was a point where Phil Rivers said last year his team had to go on a silent count and basically act like they were playing a road game despite being home. So by signing Cam, by signing Cam Newton, you have a big name coming to your team, and you can drum up some excitement heading into a new stadium. Right, boom. You can make automatically, you sign him. Cam Newton is the face of your franchise. He is the face and he is a selling point when you're trying to sell tickets and trying to have people, you know, try to win them over compared to going to the Rams side. Not to mention, you look at this roster. The Chargers roster, I think, is still ready to win now. I think they still have a lot of good pieces. And despite going 4-12 four, uh, four and 12 after going 12-4 and four the year before that, I think they're still ready to win now. They still have Derwin James, who's great in the secondary as long as he can stay healthy. You have Nick Bosa and Melvin Ingram on the sides rushing the passer, which are still elite at their level. You have Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, two great receivers. They addressed the offensive line, which was pretty bad last year and really did not do uh, Phil Rivers any favors. So they traded for Trey Turner coming over from the Panthers. You signed Brian Balaga, who's a free agent coming off the Packers. So you automatically improve your offensive line. So you strengthen a weakness. You already have some great key pieces on both offense and defense in place. They signed Chris Harris, uh, who is a free agent coming from Denver. So you boost your secondary. So this roster, to me, is ready to win now. In an, a- in an AFC that has domin- is going to be dominated and really is starting to be uh, taken hold of by young quarterbacks with Deshaun Watson in Houston, with Lamar Jackson in Baltimore, obviously Patrick Mahomes in your, in your own division if you're a Chargers fan um, out there in Kansas City. To me, this roster still matches up well, and you, if you have a quarterback um, that is dynamic and healthy enough, they can elevate this team. And again, you saw two years ago, the Chargers were a damn good football team going 12-4. and four. I think they can kind of channel that and still have the pieces on, in place on their team to get back to that level. And two, at least signing Cam, if you're the Chargers, theoretically, and again, assuming his medicals check out, you'll be getting the healthiest Cam Newton in a few years. Obviously, two years ago, he had a bad shoulder injury that he played through the last, uh, the last six games of the year before he was benched the last two. So really, the last eight games of the year, he had a shoulder injury that he could never get past. His play seriously deteriorated. And again, he was held out of those last two games. This year, hurts his foot in the preseason, only played two games. So this is a guy that basically, let's say for you know, argument's sake, missed almost the entire 2019 season. So he saved himself from a lot of hits, saved himself from a lot of you know, exposure to getting hurt more. So theoretically, he should be fresh coming into Los Angeles. I understand, you know, really since 2015, his MVP year, his play has gone down each year. It's regressed. And he's had a tough time just staying healthy, even when he's fully healthy from, you know, for he, he had a tough time preventing injuries. But at least to me, basically missing, again, all but two games last year, he has plenty of time to have his shoulder heal have his foot heal, and again, assuming that the, the doctors gave him the A-OK to play and say he's fully healthy. The Chargers will be getting someone that still has a lot of talent 
that should be refreshed and ready to go. Not to mention, you know how Cam Newton is. You see the outfits he wears, see the way he carries himself, even social media-wise, the way he portrays himself on social media. He fits that L.A. lifestyle. That's the only thing, too. With, with these teams, you need players that fit the lifestyle and the culture of the city. Philly, passionate, gritty city. You need those kind of guys, and those are the kind of guys that fit in Philly that have success and the fans gravitate to. L.A., as you can see, it's glitz, glamour, fashion, you know, just, just expressing yourself in, in, in the way you dress, the way you carry yourself on social media. Fam, uh, fam, Cam fits perfectly in that L.A. lifestyle. He's come right in. I think, again, he's a, he's a player that fans could gravitate, gravitate towards, could be a fan of, and, again, help, you know, really drum up some excitement and be the face of your franchise going forward um, in Los Angeles. And, finally, you have the cash to do it. You have the money to do it. Why not? The money's there. The talent is there. Assuming Cam is healthy, absolutely do it. You have the cash space to do it. Not to mention you have the starting uh, job to do it. Terod Taylor right now is not going to put butts in seats. He's probably not going to win you many games as a quarterback for the Chargers. Why not try Cam Newton? And the reason now why I say if you sign Cam Newton, you absolutely have to draft a, uh, draft a quarterback is because, one, it's insurance. I said Cam you know, will be theoretically the healthiest he's been in a few years coming to Los Angeles. True. He's also shown even when he's healthy, he has a tough time staying healthy. He gets hurt a lot. His style of play, it, it's, it was reckless in the beginning. He's kind of tamed it a little bit. But still, I mean, his, his style of play is keeping the ball, running, putting your shoulder down, running people over, and just being physical at the quarterback position. And we've seen that's not really equitable and not a smart long-term decision. So if you draft a young quarterback, you at least provide some sort of insurance and a capable backup, God forbid Cam Newton gets hurt at some point. Not to mention, too, if you draft a quarterback, you still can go all-in on 2020. Like I said, I think the roster is still set to win now, so you can go all-in, try to you know, push your chips to the middle, try to bring Cam in, try to you know, channel that 2015 MVP year, go for it, go for it. But not to mention, your future's still bright if it doesn't work out. If he fizzles out, if Cam Newton can't stay healthy, or he's not effective, you still have a backup plan in place to where if he struggles or gets hurt, boom, you have the future right there sitting and waiting, and he can take the driver's seat, and you hope, if you're the Chargers, drive your franchise for the next 10, 15, 20 years. And not to mention, too, with the roster, I like it this year. After 2020, it's going to be interesting. You have free agents like Nick Bosa, Melvin Ingram, Keenan Allen, Hunter Henry, who, I mean... Franchises still can work out a long-term deal for it, but right now at least is on that one-year one, ter- uh, one franchise tag. They're all free agents after this year. So if you can't re-sign them or re-sign them all, the roster could look very interesting. And at least if you draft a quarterback, instead of rebuilding in 2020 where if you can't sign any of them or just one or two of them, it's not exactly a rebuild per se, but it's more of a reload. Because obviously the biggest thing we know it, the hardest thing to find in the NFL is a franchise quarterback. If you draft that quarterback at number six, yeah, like Justin Herbert, who you like and you really think could be the face of your franchise, you can reload in 2020 instead of rebuilding, trying to find a guy, trying to now basically scrap it all down and build it back up. You can kind of just kind of roll with it, reload, find a few pieces here and there, and just try to um, slowly, quickly have an accelerated rebuild, then tearing it all down and basically trying to start over from scratch. 
So that's what I would do. If I was the Chargers, I would absolutely sign Cam Newton. I think it works, again, assuming he's healthy. But with that said, if you draft him, absolutely number six. You have to draft a quarterback for insurance and to still allow yourself to win now in the, win now in the present, but also be successful in the future as well. So love to get your thoughts again. It's a little, I know it's a little, a uh, little late in the show, but any thoughts you have, I'd love to um, get those right on air. And again, if you have any sporting event outcome that you would like changed in the next 10 minutes, definitely write it in either on Facebook or Twitter, and we'll have those read uh, before we get out of here. So finally, like I said, Quarantine Chronicles, we've been trying to do this every, uh, every, every show. Just some funny stories, some crazy stories, things you witness um, either at home or, you know, obviously a lot of people work from home, a lot of video conferencing. If you, you notice on a video conference, send those in on either Facebook or Twitter or you want to send myself a text as well, and we'll get them right, right on the air. So Sarah, if you remember, she contributed last week talking about, uh, one, how her, co- uh, how her boss was saying how she doesn't think either herself or her fiancé will make it out alive. Um, of this quarantine and working from home for a few weeks or a few months. That was the time she submitted. That was probably maybe either a full week or the beginning of a full week of everyone working from home. So it was very early. And already my cousin Sarah, her boss, was concerned that her and her fiance will not coexist in the same space, living with each other and working from home with each other for essentially 24 hours a day. And then she also went on to say how her... um, her boss only expects Sarah to work four hours a day because she's a social butterfly and needs to get out there and still be social. So first of all, Sarah, if Rutgers is hiring, I'm in. I'll work four hours a day and get paid for eight. Trust me. I will definitely uh, definitely love that kind of work schedule for sure. But she also now submits uh, earlier this week that obviously like a, like a lot of people work from home, a lot of WebEx conferences, a lot of you know Zoom conferences have to go on. And funny, I'm sure that happened to a lot of people, but at least with Sarah, it's, it's funny. As she was on a conference last week in her in her kitchen, uh, my aunt Joanne walks in, looking at the screen, not realizing what you know this is live. She goes, "Oh wow, look at everyone on the screen. Who are all these people?" Um, looking, you know, just kind of just asks questions, not realizing that they could see her and that they could hear her. And obviously, after hearing that this was live, people are hearing everything she's saying, looking at her, looking um, to see what she's doing. It was uh, a little bit of embarrassment for aunt Joanne. So that is that is a funny little story. I'm sure again. If people a lot have uh, Zoom conferences and, and these WebEx conferences, I'm sure that's happened to many, many, many people. Um, as we know, if you've ever been on a conference call, there's always people that leave uh, the, the phone unmuted or always hitting buttons or getting texts. And there's always – it always gets dangerous when you have these conference calls, either video or by phone, when there's a lot of people uh, involved. So at least that's a, a little bit of a funny story. Then I was reading a story in Pittsburgh here. We'll finish up with this. This is not, this is not funny, and this is actually really concerning. Um, a lady in Pittsburgh went to a local supermarket thinking it would be a good idea to lay a prank where she said she had coronavirus, made her way through different sections of the supermarket, like the bakery, the meat aisle, the vegetable um, section, and coughed on all of the products there. She coughed on the meat containers. She coughed on, I guess, cakes and, and pastries in the bakery section, went to the vegetable um, stands and coughed on them. And told everyone she had coronavirus. And now that supermarket has to throw out $35,000 worth of food. Just insane. Now, apparently they think that she does not have corona. And I guess the police are investigating. And she's being tested, I guess, as we speak to see if she does have corona. Apparently this is part of an internet prank or an internet, you know, sort of joke to go along with. And, I mean, I hope 
I that nothing has been brought up yet, but I hope if she tests positive or even not, either way, I hope she is charged in one way or another. And that is, you can't have people going out, going to stores where food is already at a premium. And we see people loading up on toilet paper. We see people loading up on all different types of food and basically anticipating a doomsday worth where they just roll out these massive carts of food every week. You can't have someone now going in there, coughing at everything and claiming to have coronavirus and basically getting away with it. And they sort of, even if the people are, you know, she's going and coughing on just people in general without coughing on any food. I hope, I hope, I hope the police in Pittsburgh, positive or not, arrest her, charge her, and put her in jail because that, that's ridiculous. Especially in a time like this, you cannot have people going, doing these kind of jokes and thinking that it's funny and getting away with it. Because as we see too, people are copycats, right? The internet is all about copycats. Whatever someone does, people want to mimic it, do it their own way. And so if they see that this is getting basically looked the other way or getting a free pass on, who knows what's going to happen, right? People try their best to become internet stars, um, do whatever they can to get some attention. So he, um, he, or I believe it's a she, hopefully will get arrested for it as well. And similar to that way, at least a, uh, a TikTok super or viral superstar, I guess. If you're unfamiliar with TikTok, it's very, if you're old school like myself, you remember Vine, where it's like those short seven-second videos. Um, TikTok is basically the same thing, but longer. And you, so you had a TikTok person who I guess is a star, has a ton of following, as a joke or I guess to show toughness against the coronavirus, went into a public bathroom and licked the toilet. I almost threw up watching it. Licked the toilet and is now it's been confirmed that he's come down with the coronavirus itself. So it's funny how karma, um, karma does come back and get you. And at least for that person, you lick the toilet, you try to see how uh, coronavirus is not a big deal. Boom, coronavirus. And now Lauren Clark, hey Lauren, she times in that, I guess some similar to what the lady did in, uh, in Pittsburgh, coughing on all of the, a lot of the produce there and having them throw it out. She, she times in that someone, I guess, licks soap containers and other stuff um, in some store, and he was arrested for it. So at least that's good that at least officials and the feds are really starting to crack down on this and not allowing people, um, corona or not, to claim they have corona and then just start spreading their germs all over the place. Um, so interesting stuff. The, the world is wacky. It is a definitely a, a, weird, uh, a weird world we're living in. In general, obviously, now with, with what's going on, it's yeah, even weirder. Um, so, again, hopefully justice is served for that for that lady in Pittsburgh who claimed to have corona and coughed and everything and that she gets punished severely because just, just absolutely ridiculous. And people will do whatever they possibly can to get attention. And it's kind of sad. Uh, well, that will do it for this edition of the morning boys. Thank you so much for, uh, for tuning in. We really do appreciate it. So like I said, if you were just tuning in now or missed it earlier, um, going to try to do a, a group watch along with the show tiger King and one episode left. It's on Netflix. If you've never heard of it, or if you have watched, it, we're going to try to, uh, finish it so you have the weekend it's seven episodes about 45 minutes each give or take um so if you want to watch that it's, you know we'll we can um we'll talk about it on money just give our thoughts because at least through six episodes right now there's a lot to talk about craziness all over so many different characters um they're really all antagonists but some of these are disguised as protagonists early on it's just a wild show with so many twists and turns. So if you have watched it, we'll definitely talk about it on Monday. If you haven't watched it, I would suggest watching it this weekend. 
again, it's one of those shows that keeps you on the edge of your seat. It's not boring. Um, it keeps you hooked. And so if you want, then we could talk about it on Monday. You can chime in on Twitter, on Facebook, on, on text. It will kind of just give our own thoughts um, because it's getting a lot of buzz on social media. And I really think that it, it's a, uh, it could be a good segment at least to talk about because it is, there's a lot, let's say, to talk about with Tyro King. So again, if you want to, uh, if you're into it at all, watch Tyro King this weekend. We will discuss um, on Monday for sure. But that will do it again for this edition of The Morning Boys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Have a safe weekend. Have an enjoyable weekend. Unfortunately, with opening day being today, there is no baseball, so there's still no distractions going on. But we hope everyone is still staying safe at home, uh, practicing social distancing, washing their hands. And hopefully if we all do that together, this quarantine um, will end sooner rather than later. We can get on to our normal lives sooner rather than later. So with that said, enjoy working home. Please don't get stir-crazy. Stay sane. Um, stay safe. We'll talk to you on Monday. Have a great weekend. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.